Reality Church is a church striving to be biblical. We pray that this sermon would help you in your personal walk. Be blessed. As we get started this morning, I think it's awesome. One amazingly awesome thing is this, that we somehow had our children taught in Sunday school to be the light of Christ shining for the world to see and that we in adult Sunday school were taught to do the work of Christ without grumbling complaining so that we may be the light of Christ in the world. God truly is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. It's amazing to me that Pastor Garrett and Brother Jesse didn't talk about Sunday school, right? Y'all didn't talk about your subjects in Sunday school, yet you pretty much taught the same thing to two separate groups of people who live together. And now, guess what we get to do this week? We get to talk to our kids about what we've learned. And our kids get to talk to us about what they've learned. And we get to discuss and disciple each other in our homes about being the light of Christ in a dark, dark world. Isn't that great? That is a great. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. Christians, you are to love one another. Not because of the gain which you get from one another. But rather because of the good you can do to one another. Spurgeon makes a great point here. John is fixing to go further. Although this is absolutely true that Spurgeon's saying, we love each other because the Lord commands it. And John is going to dig into that, but Spurgeon is making the great point that it's not just because we can get things from each other. It's because I have something to offer you. Therefore, I want to love you. I want to share that love with you. So I hope as we dig into this, you'll see that this basically is going to be probably two weeks of this, maybe more, depending on how God works and study. But it's going to be a couple weeks about brotherly love. So let's dig into it. First John 2, verses 7 and 8. Now hear the infallible, inspired word of God. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it is infallible and errant and inspired, that it is a reliable set of historical documents written by eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And they testify to specific prophecies and supernatural events. It is divinely inspired and not just the words of man. For God, you breathe this out through the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for this word, that we can have it in our hands and see it. God, we ask that you would remove the veil, that we may see clearly what you have to say to us this morning. Holy Spirit, 
illuminate this for us. May it be a light to our feet and a lamp for our path. For God, we just want to know you more. We want to know what you have said. And God, that is how we truly know you is through what you said in your word. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So these verses are really tied to the next set of verses. So I don't really want to go into these verses without giving you the next set of verses so you can understand why I'm teaching this in the context I'm teaching it. Because he's saying this as kind of an introduction to what he says about how we should love one another. Therefore, let's see what he says about how we should love one another. Whoever says, this is verse 9, we're going to read verses 9 through 11. That's next week's text. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So John is writing about commands that are not only moral. You know, he said, it's not a new commandment I'm, I'm writing you, right? Yet, and then he said, but it kind of is. He's not writing just about a moral command. Because John Stott points out in his commentary on this that this isn't just moral, this is social. So it has to do with Christians and how we interact with brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, this is all about brotherly love. Let's keep in mind that the verses we discussed this week are extremely important, but are necessary for what we're going to talk about next week, okay? He's definitely teaching on the command to love brothers and sisters. So as we look at these verses, we're going to put it into that context because of what's coming next week. And what he discusses in these verses lays a foundation for that and gives us the biblical foundation for being able to truly love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So these, these verses could stand alone as great teaching, but let's bring it into the full context of what John is trying to say here. He's trying to use these verses to show us about brother and sisterly love. Okay? So I think we can go verse by verse. And phrase by phrase. And really see the importance of it. So let's do it. Verse, verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So, Pastor Garrett texts me. He's like, how far are you going in First John? I said, 1 John 2, 7 and 8, he said, man, that's going to be tough to get 42 minutes out of, because pretty much all my sermons are 42 minutes for some reason. And I said, brother, my first point's on one word. And that word is, 
the first word he says, beloved. Beloved. That's how John addresses them. You know, he's already addressed them in in a previous paragraph. My little children. You know, that shows affection. But here he says, beloved. Now, that word has very, very significant meaning for the Christian. It has essential significance for the Christian to understand. That word beloved in the original language means loved by God, Christ, and one another. That's what that word beloved means. It means loved by God, Christ, and one another. So this very title that he's using to speak to these people speaks to the love of God for us. He has chosen us as his children, right? And we have been adopted into the family through Christ. We are loved by Christ. He loves us to the point of laying down his life to take the punishment for our sin. Just that part of the title should be enough to spark enough joy in us to to worship him forever. Just the fact that we are beloved of God and beloved of Christ, that we have been adopted into his family. Now we can call him father because we're his children now. And Christ has done it through his great sacrifice. These things should be enough to make us worship him forever. But it goes a little deeper. We have in that title of Beloved the idea of being a part of a body that is absolutely identified in many ways by the love we have for one another. Didn't, doesn't it say in this word that we will be known by our love for one another? That's what it says. So we can actually be identified as Beloved Because of our love one for another. So John is reminding the readers of this epistle. that, For one, God loves them. And at the same time, reminding them of the love that they must have for one another. We absolutely should love one another. Uh, Brother Jesse sent a text message yesterday. He's like, I cannot wait to go to church and spend time with you guys. That's how we should feel about this place. Because when we walk in these doors, we are walking into a place full of people that we love and people that love us. And we should desire that every day of the week. That that joy of being together in fellowship with one another. And I think we would do well to see each other as beloved of of God if we were in Christ. Does this mean that for the other brothers and sisters out there that we don't challenge each other's errors or call each other to repent for sin? Is that what love really is? Personally, I don't think so. I would say absolutely not. Because if we truly love one another, we will do that. 
How can I say I love my daughter if she's going full force towards a fire with her eyes closed running and I don't try and stop her? I love her. I'm going to stop her. If I see Brother Garrett fixing to stick the screwdriver to the wire and we hadn't cut the power, I'm going to stop him from doing that. You see, we challenge each other. We do. We stop things. We, we, we don't compromise truth for the sake of unity or for the sake of saying that we have brotherly love for each other. That is why we tell the truth to each other. Because we love each other. And that includes the people outside of our church that are, that are members of the body of Christ. We challenge them on those things at times. See, because we must love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Regardless of background, regardless of, of anything, regardless of anything, we need to see each other as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. Anything else goes against the Word of God and what it says. Next, John makes a statement that um, if I was to, to say it, I would probably say, look, I'm not writing you anything new here. This is not new. But he says, I am writing you no new commandment. John is reassuring his readers of the consistency of his message. Okay? He's saying, look, this isn't anything different I'm fixing to write you than I've already told you. We know he's already talked to these people because he calls them my children. He taught them. We know he knows them. And he says, I'm not telling you anything new here. This is not a brand new commandment I'm giving you. And that is the consistency of the message of Christ. Christ didn't preach something different. The new thing that was Christ was the fact that he died to save us. And now we have access to God through Christ that we never had before. That's the new thing. But he's not changing his message. He's not changing the commandment here. He's saying, basically, I'm not writing a new book. He goes into it in the next phrase to really help us understand what he is saying. Okay, He says, but an old commandment. That you had from the beginning. So, let's go back to the old commandment. What God has commanded, where is it written? In what he said, right? So let's go back to the old commandment. We know in the beginning there was one commandment. There was only one thing God commanded. He gave them all the fruit of the trees. He said, you can do all these wonderful things. Be fruitful and multiply. But don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I like how Bizzle puts it. He said, that tree is just for daddy. Right? That's God's tree. Don't eat of that tree. Well, we know that the first commandment was not eat of the tree, in the, of that one tree in the garden. And that one commandment was broken. And as R.C. Sproul kind of puts it, that is high treason 
on a cosmic scale. That is treason against God right there. And there's another set of commandments that I think are pretty important as well. And uh, let's turn to them. They're the Ten Commandments, God's moral commands, Exodus 20. I'm going to read 1 through 20. Something that Joe Thorne says a lot. He's the pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in, uh, in uh, St. Charles, Indiana, I think is where it, where it is. But uh, he, t- he, he says everybody should actually memorize the Ten Commandments. And I'm glad our kids <laughs> started doing that. You should memorize the Ten Commandments. You should. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Commandment 1. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment 2. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Commandment three. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Commandment four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant. Or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And just a side note here. I could teach a lot about the Sabbath. Here's, here's, here's the cliff notes. Christ is our Sabbath. We rest in Him. Let me continue. Number five. Parents will say amen. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Number six, you shall not murder. Notice the phrasing there. ESV got it right. Not thou shalt not kill. It says you shall not murder. Number, number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does that mean? You shall not lie. That's what, my, that's what Arlie Ray says, and that's right. You shall not lie. And number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood afar off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. They feared the Lord. 
Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for your God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. These were the commandments given by Moses. This is a very comprehensive list. And some would look at this and take it as that, just as a list of rules and regulations. Do this, don't do that, right? That's how a lot of people would take it. But it is more accurately described as a written manifestation of God's holiness. God is so holy, he requires this. It is a manifestation of his holiness in writing on the tablets. Because God is holy. More specifically, he does require these things of people, but he more specifically is requiring this of a certain group of people. His chosen people. These commandments were for the people he had chosen. Israel, right? I think something that's very interesting here is something that happens in verse 20. Listen to the wording here. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. That you may not sin. The commandments were given to keep God's people from sinning, right? John said he was writing that letter so that they may not sin. He's writing it for the same reason. You see, John preaches the word of God. He challenges readers to strive for holiness just as the commandments called God's people to a life of holiness. So he demands holiness just as the Word of God demands holiness. That's what John's trying to say. Live a holy life. So there's no separation in God's Word, okay? We don't take, and on that blank page before the New Testament, uh, write a cross and eliminate everything before that. We don't do that. We can't get rid of the Word, the very Word that Jesus Himself preached. We can't get rid of the words that John preached, that Paul preached, that Peter preached. We can't get rid of that. We need it. It's essential. That's why in the New Testament, every book of the Old Testament, save one, is quoted. Esther. And Esther was a historical book. Every other book of the Old Testament is quoted in the New isn't that amazing? So tell me, why would we separate? I'm not writing you a new commandment, John said. I'm not writing you anything new here. You've had it. It's contained between Genesis and that blank page that says New Testament, right? Between Genesis and Malachi, you have the Word of God written. And now... We are writing to you a New Testament, but we're using the same principles, the same commands, the same statutes. 
John goes on to reinforce what he is saying. He says, The old commandment is the word that you have heard. John could say this because he had personally heard that word. In Matthew, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. This is Jesus. This is something that Jesus said. Something that Jesus taught. So he's saying, this is the word that you've heard. It's just like what I've heard. It's just like what I preach. Matthew 22, 34 through 40 says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. You see, the Pharisees would use the Sadducees to try and trip people up because the Sadducees didn't like resurrection. So they would, they would send them. Well, Jesus shut them up, so now they had to figure something out. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he may have come, what he may have been saying there is like, which of the Ten Commandments you like best? But Jesus said something amazing. And he didn't hesitate, I don't think. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. With all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus taught the same commands that were given to Moses. And see, many would separate Christ from the Old Testament. If we do that, we better check our theology. Because if we believe in a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one in essence, three in persons, we cannot separate Christ from the Old Testament. Because listen, who was it that wrote the Ten Commandments? God. Guess who is the second person of the Godhead? Jesus Christ. So, we can draw the conclusion that Jesus wrote the Ten Commandments. Why? Because He is God. God the Son. In this interaction, it's interesting. He didn't give one of the things I read, did He? I mean, it doesn't really necessarily say in there, love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It says... That you will have no other gods before me, right? So, I mean, like, it, does, it feels like it's, maybe he's, is he making up a new one? No. Because in his first statement, he covers the first four. You shall only serve God. Don't make a graven image. Don't take his name in vain. And keep the Sabbath holy. First four. What does that mean? If you do those four things, you are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in his next statement, to love your neighbor as yourself, he's covering the last six. Because if you love your neighbor, 
You're not going to murder them. You're not going to steal from them. Your closest neighbor, you're not going to cheat on. You're not going to lie. You're not going to want what they have to the point of jealousy. You see, those things are covered in to love your neighbor as yourself. So his statements, these two statements are an encapsulation of all of the law. So Jesus says the greatest commandment in all is all of them. Side note, y'all want to go on a rabbit trail real quick? Churches that have the motto, love God, love people. Very catchy, very cool. Are basically saying, keep the law. Because we, in the law it says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. You encapsulate all of the Ten Commandments. When you do that, so basically that statement, love God, love people, is keep the Ten Commandments. Which, if we're honest, what Jesus said is the first and greatest commandment is impossible for us to do as human beings on this earth. We will not Love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. It's impossible for us to do on this earth as human beings. Even in Christ. So we have need for repentance daily, right? Because we're going to get distracted. We're going to put things of greater importance over Christ. That's going to happen. So I don't need to heap on, to, to put on you a law that you can't keep. I need to tell you Get in that Sabbath. Get in Christ and rest in Him, right? Doesn't that make more sense? So here, we could go on and we could even ask, who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Truly, and hear me, hear me, hear me clearly here, truly our closest neighbor would be those of the household of faith. You're my neighbor. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are those who God has placed in our lives the closest as family. So brotherly love is important. You see, Jesus taught these things to John. And John continued that teaching. Jesus taught, love each other. So guess what? That's what John's going to teach. God's commands are for our good, that we may continue in holiness, that we may know how we should live. They are God's moral laws. There's absolutely nothing wrong with God's moral laws. In fact, they are perfect. And if you could do them all, you could attain righteousness. But you can't. But Jesus could. In these commands, we see the love of God. If we look at these commands that he's given in, 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 in Exodus, we will see the love of God made manifest. We learn the truth of how to love God. We learn how to love others. There's nothing more loving than that than God giving us that set of commands. 
truly, we should strive to keep these things. And, 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 and we can't do it perfectly, but thank God for grace. That we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. In Christ, we are righteous. And thank God for repentance. What a gift that I can come to God and turn from my sin and, 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 and pray that, God, I don't want to do this anymore. And He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. Thank God most of all for the Holy Spirit at work in us, right? That sanctification going on in, our, in us, that is essential for us. Then John makes it more interesting, okay? Because he said, I'm not writing you a new command. And then he comes into, chapter, into verse 8 and he says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you. Which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. John... John was sitting there, he had wrote that last thing. He said, you know what, come to think of it, I am writing you a new commandment. Jesus used that same kind of language in another book John wrote, John 13. John 13, 34 through 35. Listen to this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, some will take this and expand it out into this huge statement to everybody. About how you need to love each other and, and not, not, not offend, not judge. We need to take this into context. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's telling them, love one another. You are of the household of faith. You are brothers in Christ. Love one another. Because otherwise, they aren't even going to know that you're mine. You see, he goes further with his commandment. It's more than just love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. He says, he, 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 he takes these commandments, doesn't he go, always go further? What does he say about adultery? It isn't just the act. He said, if you look upon another woman to lust after her, you are committing adultery in your heart. If you hate your brother, you are murdering him. He takes those commandments so much farther. So he goes farther than love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love your neighbor as I have loved you. Christ died for us. This could lead us to despair if we did not understand who Christ was and what he's done for us. Because we could say, I can't do it like you, Jesus. I'm... It could, it, it, it could really devastate us. It really could. The only ability that we have to even come close to that kind of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ is in Him. Through Christ. We have to have His help. Without it, we, we, would, we wouldn't even try if we didn't have Christ. 
We just simply fail. Because we can't do it alone. Even the thought to love you as I love myself. I know a lot of people think, well, that's not hard because I hate myself. No. No, you get up every morning. You clothe yourself. You eat your, your food. You keep yourself alive. You love yourself. You do. But to think, the one who laid down his life to save us, we got to love, I got to love you like that. That's, that's hard. We must have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, to love our brothers and sisters is part of our sanctification. It's a big part of it. This is why he says what he does next. So he said that that is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, kind of. He says, which is true in him and in you. See, Christ is our all in all, right? He is our only hope. He is truly the greatest display of love ever seen. On the cross, we see love displayed in a way that it never would be again and never had been before. He died as a curse in order to take our sin upon himself and pay the penalty. It was done for us. So through Christ's sacrifice, we are truly loved. And through the finished work of Christ at the cross, you see, we are adopted in as sons and daughters, loved by the Father. Now, we can love one another as we are commandment, commanded because I'm looking at you and I'm seeing my brother and my sister because Christ has saved us. And we have the same Father. How do we love one another? How do we do it? Yes, it does involve actions, as Spurgeon says. It absolutely does involve actions, as he says. But I think it's more. I do. You see, we have fellowship with each other. Just as Brother Jesse was, was desirous of that last night and talked to us about it, we were desirous of the same thing, to have fellowship with each other, to get in with God's people, to get in with our brothers and sisters whom we love. We share the gospel with each other. We disciple one another. That's what our Sunday school is. That's what our women's book club does. It's discipling one another. It's getting in there and learning. We pray for each other. And we challenge each other. If one of our brothers and sisters comes to us with some kind of bonehead theological idea, guess what we do? We challenge it. Why? Because the Word's our standard. And because we love each other. Christ is too, he's truly changed everything. He's changed us into brand new creatures. Now we live a life forever changed by the gospel of Christ. We need to always let that be the characteristics of our, of our interactions with each other. The gospel of Christ. The grace that we have in Christ. So guess what? We have grace with one another. But always speak the truth. Just as Christ does. We have such a great hope. 
And we share that hope with our brothers and sisters constantly. The greatest help I can give you in any terrible situation is the hope that is in Jesus Christ. That's the greatest help I can give you. There's no greater help than that. That's the best thing I can do for you. Say, no matter what you're in, Christ has set you free from the bondage of sin. You are taken out of slavery and you are now His son or His daughter. And guess what? You have been transferred out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And that is a great hope. Because it says that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Colossians 1, 13-14 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. You see, we are no longer in darkness. Sin is ultimate darkness. And we're no longer slaves to it. Listen, no matter how dark the world outside seems, no matter how awful it seems like it is, no matter what the awful situations are in your life, how dark they seem, you aren't in darkness if you are in Christ. You live in a different kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a light that cannot be put under a bushel. You are in the light. You have been taken out of the darkness into the light. There's something very interesting about the properties of light and darkness. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. No matter how dark it is, one light will dispel it. Even if I just turn on that little flashlight on my phone in the pitch darkness, instantly, it's not dark anymore. Right? Because the light destroys the darkness. We've been taken out of darkness and transferred into the light of the kingdom of His beloved Son. Because we have been redeemed by Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are in the light. And we show that light most clearly by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Christians truly live differently. Because we live in what it talks about here. That the true light is already shining. See, we live in true light. Um, the New Age has tried to really kind of grasp a hold of that concept of light, right? You know, your inner light, your aura, uh, how light shines through crystals and all that mess. They don't have the true light. It's a forgery. It's a, it's a fake. And it's proven that we're living in that true light when we're loving each other as He commanded. We can love each other only because of Christ. That's the only way we can truly love each other. Why? Because Christ, first of all, Fulfilled the whole law. He kept it. Perfectly. You can. He did. 
Secondly, he died to take our sin upon himself and bore the full wrath and punishment for that sin, which we deserved. But he took it. And now, thirdly, we can repent and trust in Christ, which is a gift of God. And fourth, because of the great love shown to us, through Christ we've been adopted into the family of sons and daughters. And number five, because of that, now we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So what really, what really gives us the ability to love each other sounds to me like the gospel does. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God unto salvation. That's what gives us the ability to love each other. Though we're really just kind of setting the stage for next week, I think this is such a great help to know that God's commands have not changed. He still desires the same things of us. And, and these commands lead us to love Him as we should, but also to love our fellow, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So, what has God shown us about Loving our neighbor. That's how we apply this. What has he shown us about loving our neighbor? I would say, first of all, the love for one another is not just extremely important. It's a command. It's not just really good that we love each other. He's commanded us to do it. Secondly, he, he's shown us about loving our neighbor, that God's Word consistently teaches a love of those who are in the faith for those who are of the faith. He consistently teaches that throughout all of Scripture. God, that is something that God is 100% solid on. Thirdly, that we must depend on the love of Christ and how it has shown us Love in order to love others. We need to look to Christ in order to love others. We see how He did it, and that's what we strive for. We're going to be able to do it? No, not like Him. That's what we strive for. Fourth, when we fail in our love, which we will, we must repent, and God will hear us and forgive us for it. And we repent to Him. And we go to our brother or our sister and we reconcile. Why can we reconcile to our brother and sister? Because we have been reconciled to God. That's why. That's how we do it. Fifth, the Holy Spirit will help us with loving one another. He absolutely will. As part of sanctification. Six, we've learned... That living in love for brothers and sisters is walking in true light. 100%, without a doubt, it is. And lastly, we've also seen through what God has shown us that the greatest example of love was Christ Himself. That is our greatest example of love. I want to pray for you. That brotherly love may burst forth in your hearts.
that we would love each other as Christ has loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God, that it has given us such a wonderful challenge this morning. God, a challenge that isn't a burden at all. A challenge that is beautiful, that has so many benefits, that we love one another. That the household of faith be full of love of brothers and sisters for other brothers and sisters. Help us, Father, to constantly, consistently live a life loving each other as we should. For God, that is what you've commanded. And that's how the people will see that you are our all in all. That is how they will see that we are in the true light, as if we love one another. Help us to consistently do that. And God, when we fail, give us the strength to repent and trust in you all over again, knowing that our hope is truly set in you. Father, I pray for those who may not know you, those who not, are not of the household of faith. Cut them to the heart that they may repent and trust in Christ and desire to be one of your children. Draw them to yourself. Give them a brand new heart. Take out the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that they may repent and trust in Christ, believe the gospel, and be forever changed. Sinner, run to Christ, for he is your only hope. God, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy towards us. We thank you that we are beloved. In Christ's name, amen.